Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. All the way from Adam to us, people have been finding themselves repeatedly stuck between a rock and a hard place, facing difficult dilemmas. And now I'm not talking about choosing between what might be morally wrong or evil or good. That should be no struggle. I'm talking about those head-scratching situations that, that don't seem to fit into this simple that's right and that's wrong kind of approach. I'm talking about those difficult areas that can't be reduced to convenient, clear-as-day options. By dilemmas, I mean decisions for which there are pros and cons on either side. No matter which box you check or which path you take, something will be lost and something will be gained. So, for example, do I take that new job? Or do I stay where I am? Do I, do I buy that other house or do I stay where I am as an example? Just, they, just sometimes not clear. Not that there's a wrong or a right, just not real clear. A, d- a dilemma, stuck between a rock and a hard place in that sense. Well, here's the deal, and I like this. God is trying to do exactly for you what that assistant coach is doing who's up in the press box talking to his quarterback down on the field, trying to help him get the bigger picture, right? We understand that, don't we? That's the challenge of the Christian life. Our problem, and I want you to hear this, as believers is really not our circumstances. We like to think so, and we get so caught up in that, but that is not our problem. They are not our circumstances. You know what is our problem? Our perspective and our response to those circumstances. (laughs) The vantage point from which we view those situations will determine whether you will have joy or despair. To have joy, we must find a way in our minds and in our hearts to to get that press box view, if you would, of the entire field in the game of life. Then we will understand that God is bigger than all of our circumstances, no matter what that circumstance might be. And I am, of course, talking about God's perspective. We understand that, correct? And when we get and maintain that perspective, we can, we will experience joy, even in the midst of problems, even in the midst of adversity. To know joy even in that. And this means we must be in close contact with our sovereign God. And this certainly was the case in the life of the Apostle Paul. As he really does display that and reveals that, shows us that, in some words that he spoke here in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. 
Paul said a lot. He wrote a lot of letters, and we know him by a lot of things that he has said. But I think probably maybe at the top of the list would be these words found right here in verse 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We hear those words, and we automatically know who said those, don't we? And here they are right here. You see, in that statement, Paul gives us, he summarizes for us his purpose for living. To die is gain. Well, what does he mean by that? He means that Christ is his entire life. His whole life was enveloped in knowing, displaying, reflecting, promoting Jesus Christ. It was all about making Jesus known. Someone has said, joy is the flag over the castle of the heart, right? Announcing that the king is in residence. That's good, isn't it? When Christ is your life and on the throne of your heart, then you can know a steadfast and an abiding joy. The challenge for each of us today is to get ourselves out of the way, <laughs> to get ourselves to the place where we can genuinely say, for me to live is Christ, that he is my purpose for living. You know this as well as I do. Some will say, well, for me to live is wealth, and to die is to leave it behind for my kids to fight over. <laughs> Others will say, for me to live is pleasure, and to die, well, that's nothingness. Others then will say, Who say uh, for me to live is fame. And to die is to leave my mark. One commentator wrote with regards to this verse, There are three pyramids at Gaza, which the Pharaoh spent multiple, multiplied millions of dollars, multiplied millions of man hours to build in order that no one would forget them. Yet although the pyramids still stand, not a one of us can name a single one of them inside those pyramids whom those pyramids were supposed to immortalize. Interesting, isn't it? For me to live as Christ, said Paul. Christ being the motive and go for living and doing worthwhile work for the benefit of others. And to die, it's like He's saying, well, that would be even better. Because then I would be with him. This is the single mind that we need, folks. If we're to think properly, if we're to think biblically, if we are to live joyfully. Because anything else is going to be elusive and unsatisfying. Anything else will leave you and me on the short end of the stick. The only way to rejoice through life, 
The only way to do that, to be content about life, to be full of joy in life is to say, really, the bottom line is I will repeat this on and on throughout this message tonight. Basically, it would be to say and understand and know and believe and live out 24-7. My identity is in Jesus alone. The Life Application Bible Commentary had a nice note on this. It says, some people hold tightly to this life, afraid to loose or let go. They, in effect, become slaves to their mortality. In contrast, those who do not fear death, seeing it as merely the door to eternal life, are free to live with purpose and meaning and commitment to a cause. Woo! Because Paul was ready to die, he was ready to live. He belonged to Christ and was confident of his eternal destination so he could donate his life on earth to living for Jesus. Where is your hope? Is it in this life or in the next? And until you and I are ready to die, we will not truly live the way Christ has intended us to live. Look at verse 22 with me now. For, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Then he says, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. You could say that Paul has a dilemma and it begins right here in verse 22. Although the NIV doesn't use the word but at the beginning of verse 22, you could very easily place it there because other translations actually have. For example, the New Living Translation puts it like this. But if I live, I can do more. I'll be more fruitful do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. Obviously, he longs to be with the Lord in glory, right? But <laughs> he also wanted to live on in the body so he could continue to bear fruit in ministry. And so here we find Paul wedged between a rock and a hard place. Paul didn't know which to choose. Not that he really had a say in the matter. <laughs> this isn't Paul being suicidal. This isn't Paul talking about taking life into his own hands. No, no, no. He was facing a hearing before Caesar's court, right? He possibly could have his head cut off. As it actually was. Somewhere around five years or so later from this point. This isn't Paul being negatively emotional, down and out. This is actually coming from a place of joy, 
Remember, this is, this is the letter he's writing to the Philippians. This is all about joy. He's choosing joy. Jesus is his choice. Joy comes with Jesus. He's living for Jesus. His purpose for living is to live for Jesus. This is about joy. This is coming from that kind of place. We've got to remember that. He's facing this hearing. Could lose his head. He was at the mercy of the court at the human level. He is at the mercy of the sovereign God at the divine level. Nevertheless, as Paul contemplated either outcome, freedom, or martyrdom, he thought, if I had to choose, I'm not sure which I would choose. As in all dilemmas, both alternatives had benefits and liabilities. Paul ponders these and thinks about them, lets us know about that in, in the next couple of verses, 23 and 24. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. If Paul were to depart, he would be with Christ immediately. This would be good for him. Okay? I want you to see that. No longer would he endure stonings. No longer would he have to put up with beatings and imprisonments, hunger or restless nights. The nagging thorn in his flesh that he had dealt with day after day after day would be gone. Instead, he would experience rest and peace in the presence of Christ. He would be free at last, free at last. <laughs> but on the other hand, Paul's death would leave the somewhat new New Testament church in the lurch. Now, please understand, this is not Paul, you know, they're dead in the water without me. No, this is Paul thinking and knowing and understanding, aware of where he is in the plan of God and in the history of the church. He gets that. He understands that. And while you sit here and may not think of yourself as an apostle Paul, wouldn't it be something if more and more believers, brothers and sisters, took on that kind of thinking and that kind of responsibility as a follower of Jesus Christ? I am a part of God's plan. It matters how I live my life to the expansion of the kingdom of God and touching lives and bringing Him honor and glory, making His name great. Oh, what a difference that would make. Would you agree with me on that? If we lived that way? I'm making a big deal about this because I really don't want us to miss the dichotomy that is taking place in Paul's decision making here. I could do this and it would be really, really good for me. But this isn't about me. 
This is about God and his church and his kingdom. So therefore, I will continue to endure struggles and sufferings and beatings and maybe even the possibility of losing my head for the sake of Jesus Christ because he's my purpose for living. And so he chooses to remain. To not put the church in a lurch. He will continue to be there. There will be still more unbelievers who needed to come to salvation. There will be more churches that needed to be planted, more disciples needing to be discipled. All of these would be without his encouragement and his inspiration if he he had chose the other. Like any believer suffering great hardship, pain, and the lingering threat of death. Paul longed to be with Christ. I get that, don't you? But having weighed both prospects, look at what he says in 25 and 26. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. In other words, you will continue to be excited about what God is doing in and through my life as I continue to live for him and for you. He's saying to these Philippians. Paul became convinced that the best path would be to remain for the sake of the progress and joy of those Philippian believers. In this way, his life became an imitation of Christ. Did you hear that? At this point, not so much in the suffering and dying part that will happen, but in the putting himself aside the sacrifice he's willing to make of his own life for the sake of others. In the end, of course, Paul didn't have to choose life or death. This matter was chosen for him by the sovereign plan and purpose of God. This is why he writes, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you. Somehow, Either by way of the Holy Spirit, God lets Paul know what's going to be happening. Or maybe even, I could, I could see where because Paul has made connections and led a lot of those palace guards to salvation, he's become friends with them. They're part of the palace guard, right? The, they're the, they are the, um, the, the personal bodyguards, if you will, of Nero. So and so, they're going to have some connection. They're going to hear things going on. And I can just imagine them hearing something in the courtyard or something like that, you know, of what's coming down, decisions that are being made, and then coming back to the Apostle Paul with some really good news. (laughs) Who knows? Maybe both. God's speaking to him through the Holy Spirit, confirming it through the mouths of these Roman soldiers. Our God's a good God, isn't he? Oh, how he is always working and moving 
behind the scenes. Look at verse 27 and 28 with me now. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. The words translated here, conduct yourselves, literally mean in the original language, live as citizens. This is interesting. You see, Philippi was a Roman colony. So that was a big deal. And if you were a citizen in a Roman colony, that means you had Roman citizenship, and they took that seriously. And so just as these Roman citizens were proud of their Roman citizenship and responsible with it and enjoyed those privileges, Paul is asking the Philippian Christians to remember that they were also, and even more importantly, citizens of another kingdom. A greater kingdom, actually, right? And that they ought to live as citizens. They would have got that. They would have understood citizenship and what that meant within the Roman context, but then how much even more within the kingdom of God context. Live as citizens of that kingdom. With all the responsibilities that that status involves. Paul's Philippian friends were to maintain the honor of the gospel in their lives, making sure that they did not become lax in their faith or morals, lowering their standards or refusing to live up to the calling that they have received. This remains true for us, church. The gospel of Christ must never be slandered or put to shame by the lax conduct of those who say they believe and follow what it says. What does it mean to live worthy of the gospel? Paul used this phrase actually several other times. He used it in Romans 16, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. But the answer, I think, is best revealed in an extended command that he sent in a letter to the church at Colossae. And we pray this, in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Woo! What a glorious privilege, church! That's Colossians chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, if you're interested. This is what Paul meant when he told the Philippians to live worthy of the gospel. 
unified in the Spirit, moving forward together in the faith journey. And like Paul, would lay down and sacrifice that again. (laughs) I want you to catch that. Holy Spirit, bring it into their hearts, pierce their hearts with that truth that they would be willing to sacrifice their own personal desires for the sake of the gospel message, regardless, as Paul said, whatever happens. Beatings, unjust arrest, mock trials, shipwrecked, prison, no matter, (laughs) is what Paul, basically Paul is saying, and it was no matter because whatever happened, Paul saw it as an opportunity, a privilege to conduct himself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Look at what Paul says in the last couple of verses, 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. I wonder if I came around and looked at your Bibles, if any of you would have that verse underlined. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Being a believer is for sure a privilege an honor, a high calling. And so we are to live worthy of the gospel, which means you're going to live and represent Jesus on a regular basis. Now, here's the deal we need to be clear on, I think, because I, we, can get our, we can get kind of frustrated and and, and, and wanting to throw in the towel before we even get started. You're not going to be perfect at this all the time. You know who knows that? Your God knows that. <laughs> he made you. He knows all about you and me. You're not going to get it perfect all the time. But here's the deal. But if in your heart your desire is to live for Jesus, that he is truly is, your purpose for living, that's what he sees. That's what he works with. And that's what he'll come and bless you because of. Not because you're going to be perfect. On this side of heaven, not a single one of us will be perfect 24-7. Right? We know that to be true. But what is your desire Is it to live for yourself? Is it so that it's about what you want and your desires and your will? Or is it going to be Christ, your desire, your will, for your pleasure? You are my purpose for living. This past week as I was trapped inside, (laughs) indoors. Marilyn suggested, and it was a great suggestion, that I, it was the middle of the afternoon, and uh, the sun was shining right on our front porch, you know, and 
She said, you know, you probably might do you some good, just go out and get some sun. I thought it was a great idea, so I went out there, positioned myself where the sun was right there, and it was just like, oh, and it felt so good. It reminded me when I, back in the old days when I used to go hunting. You know, you, you, you leave camp early before the sun's come up, and it's typically a cold November morning, and you're freezing, and you're hiking, and typically you're probably going to go climbing a little bit, so you got a little bit warm, and then you got to your spot where you're going to kind of watch for an animal to come by, and, and the sun hasn't come up yet, and you've done a little bit of sweating, and now you're freezing again. <laughs> and you can hardly wait for that sun to come up. And it feels so good, doesn't it? I just, listen to this first. I want you with that in mind to put this into that context. Psalm 119, verse 135. Talking to God, make your face shine upon me <laughs> and teach me your decrees. Put that in that kind of context. God, make your face shine upon me. I'm going to bask in your presence right now. And teach me your decrees. Like when we allow the sun's rays to shine on our faces, we can take in the full force of God's radiance the warmth of his love, the reflection of who he is. And when we allow that to happen, we in turn can then reflect him to the world in humility, gentleness, patience, understanding, peacefulness, strength, endurance, and gratitude to God in every aspect of our lives. And here's the kicker, no matter what. We sang earlier, is he worthy? I think we all would, uh, would come with a resounding yes. He is worthy. And the good news is not only do we have God the Father at our side, we also have one another. I love that. We have one another. Together as we stand solid and firm in the presence of the Son, S-O-N, united in an unbreakable bond of love by the Spirit, working together as one for the faith of the gospel, caring less and less about those who would oppose us, which Paul says is a sign in and of itself of their destruction and to our deliverance, our salvation, our rescue. The persecutors doomed, the persecuted delivered. It's been said, that Jesus may not have looked much like a king when he hung on the cross. But as we know, and may we be reminded tonight, 
it was his greatest victory. Amen? And the same will be true for you and me. Did you notice that when Paul's dilemma was resolved, he gained complete clarity in how to move forward in confident joy. At first, stuck between a rock and a hard place, as soon as he was out, that rock became his foundation and that hard place became his strength. When we can embrace joy in the midst of all circumstances, even in the midst of seemingly unsolvable situations, we find ourselves lifted above the chaos, gaining a new heavenly perspective for continuing on in joy, in faith, in our journey. When we're dealing with our own dilemmas, folks, we need to take that opportunity to place Christ at the top of the priority list. Amen? And so it's so easy to get stuck between this or that, isn't it? And then forget what's most important in life, which is, would be what? Paul's words, to live is Christ. And as we evaluate Whatever our options are before us, we should ask ourselves questions like this. Which of these is more Christ glory? Which will better advance the proclamation of the gospel in that process? Our own personal priorities begin to diminish and the Lord Jesus is lifted up and honored in a much, much greater way in and through our lives. A few weeks ago, we were with our grandkids over in Denver, and we had gone to the, the aquarium. And I, I like the aquarium. You know, there's, see all of those creatures that God has created, the colors and everything. And some are very, very beautiful, right? But then there are others that are kind of like, hmm, <laughs> a little weird looking, you know? I came across this. The sea squirt is a strange creature found attached to rocks and shells. It looks like a soft plastic tube waving with the current, drawing its nutrients from the passing water. It lives a passive life far removed from its once active youth. The sea squirt starts life as a tadpole with a primitive spinal cord and a brain that helps it find food and avoid harm. As a juvenile, it spends its days exploring the ocean. But something happens when it reaches adulthood. Settling on a rock, it stops exploring, it stops growing. In a gruesome twist, it digests its own brain. At that point, it becomes spineless and thoughtless, flowing passively with the current. Where does life find you these days? Passively, aimlessly, being driven by the current and flow of the culture and or your circumstances? Or is it with passion, 
and desire to know Jesus more and more and to make him known more and more and to bring him glory more and more. Is Jesus your purpose for living? Oh, how Christ must long for all of us to come to the place where we can say in our day along with Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Father, we come before you this evening and we are once again moved and reminded of all that you have done and accomplished for us. And you have spoken to us again, I trust, by way of the Holy Spirit, through your gospel message of our responsibility and how we are to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And you simply have laid before us once again. You're asking us, you're calling us to make you priority one. That you would truly be our purpose for living. That we would once and for all Get ourselves out of the way and allow you to come and be our sovereign king. Laying ourselves aside, choosing you and choosing others above ourselves. And in that, finding clarity and true joy. May it be so in our hearts and lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up.